Grace and peace are yours through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The holy ministry is a dangerous calling. Throughout time, being in the holy ministry has been a challenging job, a challenging calling. We have the example from the Old Testament of of people mocking and persecuting Jeremiah as he preached the word. We have the disciples where almost all of them were killed for proclaiming Christ. We have in in the early days of the Christian church, the the Jewish people at the time, especially trying to stamp out uh, this emerging Christianity. But what does God do even with that persecution? The word spreads through Judea and Samaria. The Roman government tries to stop Christianity by by killing Jesus and by throwing its followers later on into the the lions. And yet the blood of the martyrs feeds the, the seeds of the church and Christianity explodes in the face of persecution. In the time of Martin Luther, emperor and pope were both trying to stop the sound doctrine found in the Reformation from spreading throughout Germany and throughout the world, but it could not be stopped because it was true and God was behind it. Today, the oppression and the persecution looks different in different areas of the world. Overseas, for the most part, there are still every single day 13 Christians worldwide who are killed because of their faith every day. And every day, on average, 12 arrested or imprisoned simply because they profess faith in Christ. That outward physical persecution doesn't seem to happen as much right now in the Christian church in America. But Satan works in different ways. It's kind of like in some places, uh, perhaps overseas, where there's physical uh, persecution going on. That's like Satan coming in and, and just robbing the bank in front of everybody and, and saying, give it up, there's danger here. But in America, it's like his tactic it is not as upfront and, and obvious in your face, but it's more like a slow, creepy identity theft where he just slowly starts taking and taking and taking before we notice it. And that's what the Apostle Paul warns this young pastor, Timothy, about, that that it's going to be dangerous for you and for God's people. So I give you this charge. Preach the word. Let's take a look at this section of God's word before us as the Apostle Paul writes to this young pastor, Timothy, about this dangerous calling that that he's taking up. He says that that he's doing this in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who's going to come and judge the living and the dead. And this calling will be challenging. It will be dangerous. You have to be prepared in season and out of season. Because there's going to be times when it's not going to be comfortable to go and preach the word. It's going to feel like the time is not right, but it's the time. Things that include correcting and rebuking things that are going to be uncomfortable, saying this is not what God says. You're on a path that is dangerous. These are the things that you'll do, minister of God. And and you're going to have to have careful instruction as you do this, because souls are are at stake here. As you're the one wielding God's word, you're, you're the one setting the tone for what people think about it. Be careful. As you, as you swing this sword of the Spirit. And as you do this, as you preach God's word, know this, 
there's going to be a time coming when people just aren't going to put up with it. They're not going to put up with sound doctrine instead to suit their own desires. They're going to go wherever their itching ears are leading them to. And they will find teachers, plenty of teachers, who say what they want to hear. And they're going to turn aside from the truth. And they're going to turn aside from you. And they're going to turn aside to their own ideas, their own desires, their own myths. You're going to have to endure hardships. You're going to have to keep your head because your heart and your emotions are going to want to take you away from, from just being steadfast in your work. <clears throat> and then the Apostle Paul gives us some context for when he's writing this. He's saying that he's preparing for his departure. He's being poured out like a drink offering. The one who committed his life to going and being a faithful minister of God's word is now at the end of his life. The apostle, or the, 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 the evangelist, uh, the pastor, Timothy, met Paul probably when he first came to, to Lystra and Paul was stoned and left for dead. <laughs> And now he's writing because he knows that this time in prison, he's probably going to be killed. And he will be. This is a dangerous calling for, for Timothy. What are the dangers of, of being in the holy ministry now, of even being a, a Christian guided by the holy ministry now? There are still dangerous uh, situations that come from the outside world, from the outside of the church, from, from this sinful world that, that hates the gospel, there's still persecution. We, we really can't have American Christian missionaries in China anymore. We've had to pull them out. There, there's much less physical danger here in the United States, but we're still so nervous about saying the wrong thing to people so that they, they don't respect us as much, how, how they'll view us if we speak what God's word says. Society continues to shift away from the truth of God's word just farther and farther. In the last 10 and 20 years, we've seen just this, this upheaval in what society thinks is right and wrong. What's going to happen in the Christian church when we keep on speaking the truth about things like how God defines marriage, life, abortion, when they're just so countercultural right now, there certainly could be and is persecution from the outside world. I was reading a couple of reports from the Barna group who does Christian studies and kind of keeps a tab on spirituality in America, and then also some uh, opinion articles from the New York Times about this idea of um, uh, Christianity and especially the holy ministry and, and how pastors are doing right now in America. And, and one of those concerns was uh, the, out, the outside world and the pressures that come from that. And will people outside of the church respect me as, as a minister of the gospel. But you know what? O only 6% of pastors indicated that pressures from the outside world were things that were leading them to feel like they should throw in the towel and resign. It just didn't, it barely hit the radar as far as real pressures on, on American ministers today just the influence of Satan from directly from the outside, from, from non-Christians persecuting them. It was actually a lot more things 
coming from the inside, from, from, other, from other Christians, from internal challenges. There was a survey, a couple surveys that went out. One was in January of 2021, and in it, 29% of pastors indicated that, that they were considering quitting the ministry. 29% of American pastors surveyed, January 2021. March 2022, 14 months later, 42% were saying that they were, they were ready to be done. It was, just, it was just too much. The article mentioned that pastors were entering the ministry because they love God's people and they love the gospel and they wanted to offer hope and it was a great honor to walk with their church in good times and in bad, but the article indicated in the past few years, pastors are exhausted and discouraged. And it's internal things, it's stress, loneliness, political division within the church, having to make tough decisions during times like COVID that not everyone was happy with, everyone having their own desires and, and expecting the, the pastor to be able to meet all of them and, and then responding in anger when it wasn't met. And for many pastors, it was overwhelming. And, and I know that was, all, that was all in the past. COVID and some of the political things are, are in the rear view right now, but there's still stuff locally, even within Wells churches, that's, that's going on that really lines right up with what the Apostle Paul is telling Timothy about people and their itching ears and, and looking for following their own desires and following other teachers who will tell them what they want to hear. I've been to a lot of different pastors' conferences in the last year, and at one of them I was talking with a, a pastor that I really respect, and, and he, I think he and his church are just doing uh, just really neat ministry, and he told me, I, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be a pastor. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about trying a different profession. And one of the things that was just eating on him was that there was a, a contingent of his congregation that was, that was leaving the church, but first they were saying, we don't want you to talk about uh, so, some of these topics. We don't want you to talk about um, sexuality, transgender, um, abortion in church. Just talk about Jesus, but, but don't mention those things. And eventually they went to find somebody else who would suit their Desires. And, and it was just emotionally, not physically, but emotionally hard on this man. So there's persecution from the outside, but then also from the inside, as all of us have these sinful natures that want what it wants and they want it their way. And for a pastor that, that cares about the truth of God's word and, and wants to make people happy, but knows that's not always possible, can feel like a dangerous calling. Satan loves it when Christians are divided against each other or against their, their ministers. That's a win for the devil whenever he can make a church ineffective at doing their mission and spreading the gospel. And I think there's a couple of tactics that the devil loves to use against the church. He loves to go after the unity of the people and their dedication to what God actually says. And if God's word, if worship and Bible study can become secondary things or things of less importance, and there can be other priorities that rise to the top, then, then Satan's winning. And he's, he's very happy about that. How can he distract us most from the mission? How can he create tough relationships where it's hard to work together and people just want to walk away? 
But the problem isn't just um, the, the, the work of Satan in the outside world or, or the, the sinful natures of, of people in the church and tough relationships there, but there's something that's even more dangerous and even closer to home. And that's me. And that's each of us individually. It's, it's our own sinful attitudes. It's our own individual sinful desires that want to turn away from, from the sound doctrine of God's word and go somewhere to find what, what our own desires want. And particularly for pastors, it's, it's this inward looking to ourselves instead of to Christ. It's, it's, again, it's Satan quietly coming in and, and performing identity theft and, and shifting our identity from what it should be, uh, just being a dearly loved child of God, to thinking that, that our identity is pastor, religious professional, to, to dole out the gifts of God to, to the people in a, in, a, in, a, in a cold and calculated way. And start to think that if... If, if the congregation is failing, if people are mad, then, then it's my fault. And if things are going well, then it's my fault. Pat myself on the back. And what a dangerous thing that is. That's why there's feelings of isolation and, and loneliness and just incredible overwhelming stress when we start to think that this is our job to save and rescue the world. And that's true for all of us. Instead of what Jesus actually says, that he's the redeemer. He is the savior of the world, including us, so that we can first go to him and receive his grace for us and then share it with others. People thought that this would bother the, the, um, the Baptist, John the Baptist, because he was there proclaiming Christ and pointing to Jesus, and all of his disciples were starting to follow Jesus. Instead of him, and they went up to him and they said, aren't you upset about this? Aren't you concerned about this? They're leaving you and following him. But by God's grace, he got it. He understood. He said, he must become greater. I must become less. That should be the tagline for every pastor and really every Christian. It's not about me. It's about him. He must become greater I'm nothing. If the holy ministry is such a dangerous calling, if, 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 if ministers are overwhelmingly tempted to, to just give up, if there's so much pressure from Satan, from the non-Christian world, from the Christian world, and from within ourselves, why would anyone bother to be a minister or even a Christian? Why? Well, God gives us a, a few reasons in here. One is that in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in the view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. One reason that I want to do this, and, and, that, and that you are a Christian too, is because Jesus is really coming again. And we can look at that from the negative aspect and think, oh no, he's coming, I've got to get my act together or something like that. But that's not how we as Christians, dearly loved by Jesus, look at this. 
Jesus is coming and he's coming to judge the living and the dead and his judgment for you will be righteous and holy and come to bring you body and soul to the new heaven and new earth to be with him in glory forever. This is a wonderful thing that Jesus is coming and we have the opportunity to share that hope with as many people as we can. And he he gives us these truths that the times are coming and they're here when people won't put up with sound doctrine. So why would we go out and preach sound doctrine when people don't want to hear that? Because it's the only thing that gives true hope, confidence, and eternal life. And if people don't want to hear it, it tells us all the more we have something that must be shared. Because it's so much better than all of the the desires we think are going to help long term that always fail. So how can we hang in there as Christians when there's persecution in our world? And how can uh, Christian congregation members support their their called workers who are are working in the trenches on this? Well, first of all, from this section, we, we, we have Paul reminding all of us, this is expected. When things go how, how we would look at them uh, poorly in our Christian life, in our lives of faith, when we face uh, persecution, rejection, know that that's not some strange thing that means we're doing everything wrong and that God has forgotten about us. He still remembers every single hair on your head. He still cares about you so much more than he cares about the sparrows. And he has prepared you for this and he's given you the tools you need to endure. He tells Timothy, preach the word. He gives us his word and his sacraments to share with others and to strengthen and fortify our faith so that we can stand during the persecution. And we do that with great patience and with careful instruction, knowing that teaching God's word is is how hearts are, are changed. How, how can we support uh, ministers, church leaders, each other? These, uh, these, these feelings of uh, the desire to quit from pastoral ministry are, are nothing new, and they're not foreign to our Wisconsin Synod either. Over 10 years ago, um, our church leadership within the Synod was looking and noticing how many, how many people, especially um, young men, were, were trying ministry and resigning from it and and quitting. And they said, we've got to do something about this if we can. One of the strategies they employed was starting the the Pastor Partners Mentor Program. So for every graduate of Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, for the first three years of their ministry, they're paired with another seasoned pastor who can be a mentor to them and just be someone who can meet with them regularly, encourage them when they're down, help help them with some accountability for making sure that they're in God's word themselves and feeding their faith and taking care of their family and taking care of, of, their, of their church, but someone who can just be there to listen to them and be a soundboard for them to encourage them. And that was so helpful for me in the first three years of my ministry, and I've been privileged to help out a couple other young pastors in that program as their, as their mentors. A lot of um, Wells congregations also have called worker care committees within their church. And that's a group of lay members 
who have this task of meeting with every called worker at least one time a year to check in with them and have an honest conversation about how things are going, to encourage them to take notes about the the struggles and, and the good things that are going on, and as needed, bring recommendations to church leadership for how can we uh, continue to support our called workers here. And we had a very faithful group of people working on that um, for, for quite a few years. And then after COVID, things kind of slowed down and kind of came to the end of their term. So we are looking for another group of people uh, to take that up and be able to have this specific way to encourage our, our ministers. So if you're interested in something like that, if that kind of thing is on your heart, just supporting our ministers at our churches and schools, uh, let me know about that. And we'd love to, love to get that restarted again. Uh, another, another way that, that we can help is, is with prayers. Praying for your ministers, your teachers, your pastors, that they have the courage to do some of the tougher things like the correcting and the rebuking and the careful and patient instructions. Pray that we're dedicated to sound doctrine. Pray that we're, we're filling up with God's word and the gospel ourselves so that we can share that well with others. Um, pray that we can lead people toward heaven even when that's unpopular. How can we support our congregational leaders, our people that serve on boards and committees and serve within the church? Congregational leadership is so important, but that too is a it's a hard calling. It, it, it can be tough because there's all these uh, different uh, opinions and sometimes there's conflicts and a lot of times there's not enough money to do the things that we'd like to do. So there's challenging things that come in with that. But I, I encourage you, uh, men in our congregation, especially for these uh, board positions, um, to, to consider how you might be able to step in and, and, and serve with the strength that God gives you. And then for all of us to think about how can we serve, how can we support, what kind of um, committees or ministries can we be a part of together. If if you're not um, an elected leader, then then your job is to support and encourage those who are. Um, Satan loves division, so so sometimes it's going to be we're all going to have our own ideas and preferences, and it's going to be, well, it's not my preference, but I'm going to work together for the good of the whole. And that mindset is what it takes to be effective as a church. Uh, Leaders, members, pastors, ministers who are all dedicated to the sound teaching of God's word and going out with the message of Jesus. How do we get get the motivation to really do that? Well, look look what the Apostle Paul says. First of all, he reminds us. Um, he reminds Timothy when it's, when, when, it's, when it's getting tough, when people aren't listening, um, here's one thing to do. Go do the work of an evangelist. Go, go, and, make it, go and make an evangelism call. Go, go and talk to somebody who doesn't know Jesus yet. And the work of an evangelist, the word simply means uh, to share good news. Remember why you're here, to share good news with people who, who really need it. We look, we look not to ourselves, but to Christ, because on our own, we can't do any of these things that he asks us to do, certainly not well. But we look at Jesus, who preached the word in season and out of season, even when it was incredibly unpopular, even when it meant he would die on the cross. He corrected and, and rebuked the, the disciples and the Pharisees. He encouraged the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors and his disciples as they 
as they came to repentance and needed someone to build them back up in the love of God. And he always did that with patience and careful instruction. This is the perfect life of Jesus that he, that he gives to you as your record, as your robe of righteousness, that Jesus sees you through your baptism doing this and doing it well. And then the Apostle Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering and the time for my departure is near. And with confidence, he said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And he could say those things with confidence because the one who came before him, Jesus, already poured out his life unto death. He gave the perfect sacrifice so that Paul's life could also be a perfect sacrifice to God. Jesus ran the race and finished it so that our entire race is one that's already been won. Paul could fight the good fight knowing that that ancient serpent Satan was already crushed with the good fight that Jesus gave. And now he and we can keep the faith. And in store for us is a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And thankfully, Paul says, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. You know who that is? That's me. And that's you, longing for Jesus to come again, trusting him. For now we endure the cross of hardship and suffering, but the crown is coming. And the crown is already here, the righteousness of Jesus given to you. The holy ministry is a dangerous calling, but not really. Because through Christ, we've already won. Amen.